Hello Canada and the rest of the world and welcome once again to the Netflix podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Netflix in Canada. I'm your host Dylan Clarkmore and today we're going to be talking about the 1951 sci-fi classic The Day the Earth Stood Still, which is currently available on Netflix in Canada and the United States. Today's episode of the Netflix podcast is brought to you in part by UnLondon's 121 Studios. That's London, Ontario's premier digital media hub and co-working space. Visit 121studios.ca for more information. The Netflix podcast is a proud member of the Electric Streams podcast network. For more insights into streaming media like Netflix, Amazon, and HBO original series, subscribe to Electric Streams Media on your podcast platform of choice. Before we get into it, I'd like to issue a couple of warnings. First off, that this conversation does contain some spoilery stuff for The Day the Earth Stood Still, now that it's really a spoilable movie, as well as some of the language contained in this episode may not be suitable for all listeners. Now that I've said my piece, let's get into it. I'm here today talking with the host of Liminalia, the podcast dedicated to all things weird. Welcome back to Mr. Tom Stewart. Thank you very much. Uh, people may recognize the sound of Tom's voice from the last time he was on <laughs> when we talked about... Uh, we talked about... Oh, God. I've got the two confused. It's the home invasion yeah, one. Yeah, God, you're next. You're next. There we go. Yes. It Follows was the only thing that was going through my mind. That's a very yeah, different that, film. That wasn't you. No, that wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was a good episode. That was a very good episode. You. It wasn't me. They might not recognize my voice either because, man, I had a cold last time. <laughs> I'm hoping to be more cogent this time. Well, uh, Tom, is there anything interesting you've been watching on Netflix that people are dying to know? I have been watching kind of my usual stuff. Um, what is your usual stuff? My usual stuff is X-Files for the most part, like, which I just watch over and over and over and over again. Um, I've also been picking up uh, a hilarious kind of West Wing soap opera scandal, which everybody knows because my girlfriend has been watching that. But mostly I've been getting into iZombie. Which is I started iZombie. It's a lot of fun. It's a very stupid show, and it's, it's yeah, I really it, like it. It's reliable. Yes, I it find is. like you know what you're getting into. Exactly. I haven't been wowed by anything yet that I've seen on it, but I'm just like, <laughs> I know when I press play, yeah. that there is a baseline of entertainment that I'm gonna get, and that's all I'm asking for. Yeah, right now. exactly. It's like I don't know that reliable meal that you make on like nights when you get home and you're exhausted. This is the thing that I turn on when I just want to kind of switch off my brain yeah. and have comfort TV. It reminds me of um, Castle or Lucifer, any of these shows where it's like a let's, it's let's a crime not... drama with a twist, <laughs> but it's not particularly like it is clever. Still, it's still a procedural. And yeah, exactly. Let's I mean let's put Luther in a different <laughs> camp. Uh, like, Lucifer. Oh, Lucifer. Okay, Luther's sorry. in an entirely different. I was like, camp. whoa, okay, no. hold on, we're about to have a totally different conversation. <laughs> So what I've been watching on Netflix is I started season, I guess we're on season four now of BoJack Horseman. Oh, see, I haven't seen any of that. Oh, why not? <laughs> you, you're on I Twitter. I love the theme How music. Not... That's, <laughs> that's as far as I've got. Oh, okay. Watch the show. Yes. Watch I, the I show. hear it's amazing. Um, yeah, I think that 
at this point somebody starting to watch it may be at the risk of having it a bit overhyped. Right, okay. But what I've been seeing a lot, and so this has been influencing the lens that I'm trying to watch it through, is people talking about how how great it is to see a representation of depression and mental health that doesn't follow your typical Hollywood oh, plot interesting. Line. Okay, yeah. Like, for instance, I'm also watching The Magicians, which um, is not on Netflix, but... Uh, I mean that that story as an example of like the bad way of approaching mental health is you've got this character who he starts off the series in a mental health institution and he's been prescribed drugs to try to deal with these issues and it turns out oh you're not actually crazy you're just special so you're not like one of those crazy people don't worry (laughs) don't worry we're still gonna other them exactly so as opposed to Bojack Horseman which it doesn't offer solutions it doesn't try to say that okay well now that you're medicated you're gonna feel fine or that yeah it's just it's people who see themselves as broken and talk about it oh that's really that sounds really really good yeah yeah so i mean i feel like it's a good thing to be out there in the world and they also i mean they they take on different subjects like i'm only four or five episodes in but they just did an episode that simultaneously tried to tackle gun violence, sexism, and dementia all in like 20 Holy minutes. Crow. Like it's yeah. <laughs> do you find that like that undercuts it or do you find like the humor of it undercuts the no, stuff not they're trying all. to look at? No, oh, okay. because the I mean there's some there's different kinds of humor going yeah. on as well in the kind of I mean in the like arrested development sort of way where they're telling you a joke over here that also connects to a running joke that's been going on for a few episodes over here. And if you look in the background, there's a silly poster. Yeah. Because there's all this, I mean, it's all... It rewards you paying attention to kind of the details. Yeah, it rewards you paying attention. And I mean, like, there's the obvious inherent silliness of having human slash animal people running around. Like, he is a (laughs) horse man. Yeah. So, like, you immediately have this silliness that they can kind of fall back on whenever they need to lighten the mood a bit. Yeah. But then they'll also end an episode with a person who's expressed suicidal feelings being left in the dust of their closest companion driving away from them. Right. Like yeah. they're not afraid to yeah. look at that. And I, I think that like the frame of reference that I have for that is Rick and Morty, which is another, of course, not Netflix show because it's still coming out. But um, I find that that show sometimes gets kind of clumsy with its writing where they will have these jokes and then they will drop into a kind of pathos or even sometimes bathos um and the kind of contrast undercuts what they're trying to do emotionally in those kind of more serious moments in the weaker episodes um so that's that's really interesting yeah i would say give it a shot yeah Um, the the seasons and the individual episodes can vary Okay. Um, but they're always trying different stuff, and it's it's not like anything else that's on TV or that's available right now. So when you said that it's going to be overhyped now, you're just kind of contributing to that. I am giving you reasons <laughs> to look past the hype and to hopefully find a reason to start and see for okay. yourself. Yeah, there we go. Well, our viewing habits aside, the movie that we're here to talk about this episode is from the year 1951. This is actually the oldest movie that I've ever taken on oh, on this really? show. Just beating out Fantastic Voyage. Oh, cool. From the the original run of Netflix. This is from director Robert Wise. We're going to be talking about The Day the Earth Stood Still. Yup. 
Now, I have had this happen before. You did watch the 1951 version? I did watch the 1951 okay. version. I had this happen in class where I was supposed to be teaching on The Exorcist, and somebody had watched The Exorcist, the Exorcism of Emily Rose. Oh, no. Um, and all of the examples they were citing in class, this was a very kind of vocal student, the kind of student that you want to mm-hmm. kind of have in your class. But all of her examples, I was like, I don't. What? What? What are you, what are you talking about? Yeah, it was super awkward. Oh, man. That's the kind of thing that you hope to catch early so you can nip in the bud. Yeah, this was like 45 minutes into class. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) So let's take a look at how Netflix describes the day the earth stood still. First, by the way, these are two of my least favorite Netflix descriptions I've seen. Because you've gone through a lot of terrible ones. Yeah, but I've got problems with these. Anyway, I'll... I'll, Okay. I've already, yeah, said too much because I want to hear your opinion, but... First, when you hover over the title, it says, A man emerges from space with a message and an eight-foot-tall enforcer. Decipher his words. Klaatu Barata Nikto. Wow, that's uh, just a a mishmash of different details from the movie that have no real connective tissue. Yeah, they, they, like, they, they kind of seem to be claiming that what he's talking about the, the those words are like some kind of riddle that has to be yeah figured out yeah that gave me <laughs> yeah that description made me feel like i was watching arrival again. yeah or indiana jones episode five because they've done the did i miss one thing no no no, no. that was like four. the next okay, one yes, yeah. okay <laughs> um yeah so that bugged me because yeah klaatu barata nikto has nothing to do with yeah it's not a secret hidden message that they need to decipher it's, no it's i think it's basically supposed to be Klaatu's in danger, or something like that. You need to go rescue Klaatu. Yeah. Hey. Ugh. All right, so let's see if the second description is any better. An envoy from another world warns Earth's people to cease their violent behavior, but panic erupts when a nervous soldier shoots the messenger. I I mean, I guess that's a little bit closer, but that's basically the first ten minutes of the film. Well, the second sentence is the first ten minutes of the film, yeah. which is fine. You can, yeah. you can set up whatever, except my problem is that Klaatu keeps his message for Earth a secret until the very end of the movie. It's kind of the MacGuffin. It's the thing that keeps yeah, the and plot going. They tell it to you in the description here. <laughs> <laughs> so, Listen, twists, eh, they're not a big thing in films. So, fuck off, Netflix. <laughs> the genres that this movie belongs to, according to Netflix, are classic movies, classic dramas, classic sci-fi and fantasy, and dramas. <laughs> okay. Apparently, it's like classic rock. That as soon as you're yeah, over as soon twenty as you... years old, you have to be described exactly. as classic. People yep. don't feel it's like a classic car. Anything else? Yeah. And it does not have any descriptive words to describe it. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. It defies description, or <laughs> based on these synopses, it defies good description. Or beneath their interest. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Um, well, apparently I thought it was beneath my interest because I always like to check what the percentage match is oh, really? for me oh, okay, since, yeah. they, since they've introduced that. with. The, have yeah. you noticed that with the thumbs up, thumbs down? That... Uh, no, I haven't. I, I don't know if maybe it doesn't come up because I usually watch on my PlayStation and I don't know if maybe on that. Um, well, no, it, it, it does on my update. Xbox. Oh, does so it? I okay. think that it's... So I'm just not observant then. Well, no, it's not every movie gets a match. So I think it's if they have enough data oh, to predict how much oh, you're going to like okay. it. But the idea is it tells you a percentage of how much it thinks you're going to like it based right. on the thumbs up and thumbs down that you've yeah. been given things. But if there's a movie that it doesn't have enough data for, it doesn't show you one. Okay. So this one showed me nothing. <laughs> so apparently I'm not watching enough movies to... Or enough black and white movies, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so... Uh, 
you chose this movie. You gave me a list to choose from, I and did. I didn't feel like looking at it, so I just said, whatever one you picked for the top. <laughs> the first one. Yes, the one that you said that was at the top of your <laughs> list. Why would you send me a list? Uh, so why this movie? Why The Day the Earth Stood Still? Um, I I really love old black and white horror and sci-fi, but I don't um, find enough excuses to watch it. So that was I, I hadn't right. seen this film before um, a few days ago. Uh, also, I had seen in theaters the really terrible Keanu Reeves remake. So did I. Yeah. Oh, did you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to pretend we were in the same screening. Oh, yeah. Of course. Um, and not like a whole coast away. Um, I don't know your life. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I kind of wanted to wash that terrible taste out of the back of my mind. So. Right. I don't remember hating it, but I remember like that was around the time that I became aware that like, you, you know how when you're growing up, mm-hmm. movies just exist? Yeah, exactly. And like, oh, it's amazing that movies exist and that I'm allowed to sit and watch a screen for 90 minutes. And this PG-13 movie is the best movie that's ever been made. Right. Yeah. So I feel like that was around the point that I was like, oh, mediocrity in film, huh? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that, that's what this is. I will tell you, I this can is feel, how terrible- I now know what wasting my money at a movie theater is. Okay. Actually, I, that's worked, a, I mowed lawns for this money. Yeah. Actually, the first time I ever felt that was insomnia. Oh, but I probably should revisit that at some point. It's actually not that bad. It's not. I was like fourteen, though. Yeah, it's not as good as people say it is either, yeah. though. Um, well, I will tell you like how say... terrible my movie films. My my movie films. Geez, <laughs> I'll my, tell you about my movie <laughs> my there. movie films. No, my film tastes were as a youngin. I thought knowing uh, the Nicolas Cage film was better than the Keanu Reeves Day the Earth Stood Still, which it is definitely not. I mean, we're comparing rotten apples and rotten oranges oh, at that completely. point. So, yeah. I, mean, I mean, it doesn't really crates matter. Crates full of them, yeah. Okay, so why did you pick... Okay, so you, you you love these old movies. You hated the remake. So were you just like looking through the categories, looking for sci-fi, and you were like, yeah. oh, yeah, that's yeah. cool. That was, that was basically it. I was nice. just kind of cycling through the various categories. I tend to like the sci-fi more on Netflix than the horror, despite horror being usually more of my jam. So right. I looked through there try to find something that I hadn't seen yeah. that would be of interest. Well, you said something recently on your uh, your pilot episode. Oh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, was that you that said that the that you tend to find better horror in the sci-fi section than you do in the horror section? Yeah, I I, I definitely believe that, actually, that yeah. you... it's <laughs> <laughs> The horror that at least is on Netflix is often so incredibly stereotypical and so genre-based yeah. that it really is not very interesting. Right. Whereas the sci-fi stuff is much more interesting to me. Okay, so have you seen this movie before? No, I hadn't. You hadn't seen the original? No. Okay, it, so... Up until like a few days ago. Painting with a broad brush, what did you think? I actually really enjoyed it. I found it more preachy than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I, I did enjoy it. It was uh, very kind of cutely, naively rah-rah America, um, which is always kind of fun to dip into because I am so alienated from that position that it feels like you've gone to the zoo to to see something exotic. (laughs) (laughs) It was curious for me that completely by accident I ended up doing this movie for this podcast right after doing Arrival, which is also about a mysterious alien alien craft landing in the United States. And and I would say it's a much better film than this one. I I would agree. Yeah. Um, I... I try to be honest with my shortcomings as a film viewer in that I have a hard time trying to shift my brain to the context of when a movie was made. Right. Yeah. So for like older movies, for instance, 
I, I have a hard time getting into that that brain space of, well, at the time this was incredible, like that sort of thing. <laughs> well, mean, uh, particularly the special effects in this movie seem pretty creaky, and yet they were seen as in, like the height of. In some cases, yes, but also. I mean, when it came to, yeah, I mean, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Like the the spaceship in the opening of the spaceship was really well done. I think was I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, yeah, that's, that's a unique approach. When it to comes that sort down and lands, it's it's pretty it's pretty good. Yeah, and it's all like it's alien. Mm-hmm. It feels strange. It doesn't feel like just a door opening on a flying saucer. No, there's like a whole process that happens that you have to struggle to keep up with. Um, and even the the stuff getting destroyed. I mean, like when the guys, you know, drop their guns, cause, yeah. oh, it's melting. <laughs> like that's a bit goofy, but that's more about the acting. But I mean, when they melt like the tanks and whatnot, yeah. I was looking at that and I was like, okay, I know that we could do that better now, but I also know that if you sat me down and told me to do this, I would not be able to do it. No, like, I there's can't no way I could do that with a model. This is still movie magic to yeah. me. Yeah. So th- that that stuff I was able to overcome in terms of it being an older, more dated movie. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't always the case. Like sometimes <laughs> I was just like, oh, I'm having a hard time with this. The pacing in particular. And there were some plots that they put in that just seemed to kind of go nowhere which is <laughs> we we can get to yeah. this well one detail that i thought was that i knew that i was experiencing wrong uh from how it was intended i noticed in the opening credits uh they had a credit for Klaatu's costume designed by perkins bailey so i was expecting this <laughs> this incredible feat of it's costuming gonna be good. and instead it was this kind of like wrinkly gray condom thing with a space helmet on yeah. i was like it's not particularly well designed. It's not particularly well constructed. When he walks, the helmet kind of wobbles a little yeah. bit as though it's made out of cardboard. Yeah. And I mean, Gort looks impressive. Like, yeah. that's, a, that's a cool piece of robot right yeah. there. Yeah, but that's I, was pretty like, cool. I was like, why did you need this? Like, I don't know if Perkins <laughs> Bailey is a big deal or something. That... Yeah. Like, maybe he's, I don't know, is he a fashion designer or something? I have that no idea. That might be, yeah. Like, well, and, and that's that was part of my problem, too. And, and this shouldn't affect anything, but I don't recognize any of the people in this movie no, me either. No, and I got the impression that maybe at least Mrs. Benson was more of a star. And apparently um, the person who plays the professor, Sam Jaff or Jaffe, this is how much I don't know him, but apparently right. he was a big star at the time. Right. Um, to the extent that he was blacklisted um, just like a month before this movie went into production and they fought to keep him on the on the. Uh, um, the roster for this movie. So, Blacklisted for like a communist leaning. Yeah, of, yeah for, okay. um, for the House on American Activities right. uh, Committee. Um, so yeah, he was he was blacklisted. They really fought for him, but he doesn't seem to be particularly lifting a lot of weight in this <laughs> film. <laughs> um, before we move on to other stuff, there's just uh, one other one other part that it made the movie dated, but also made me feel like society's devolved a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was uh, when we first start to sense tension between Mrs. Does Mrs. Benson have a first name that's ever said uh, in the movie? Apparently it is Helen. Okay. I don't think she's ever referred to that. Referred okay. to by Helen. Well, we'll yeah. say Helen just so that I'm not using yeah. somebody's first name and other people's exactly. last name. So when uh, you first start to see problems between Helen and Tom, uh, when Tom's getting all jealous of Klaatu right. or Mr. Carpenter. Yes. And so Tom, I guess, makes some kind of jibe about how much time they're spending together. 
And it seemed like a total non-issue. Right. And Helen pulls him aside and just like chastises him for how horrible. Like she, I think she <laughs> says the word horrible to describe the rudeness to Mr. Carpenter. And I was just like, there is some kind of social cue that I did not pick up there. No, yeah. Because I didn't feel like he did anything wrong. <laughs> no, this this seems like a normal conversation. But yes. it, it was it was shown to be like a complete breach of propriety. Right. So I was just like, I can't imagine what these people would think of me. <laughs> like <laughs> Like I was, it made me horrified to think of like, is this how my grandmother sees me? Like when she sees the way that I behave, like this is, oh God. He puts his mug down with just a coaster, not a coaster and a doily. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, I think that the implication is that Tom was saying something shitty about how much, about how, like trying to make Carpenter feel, or Klaatu feel yeah. slightly less welcome in that family unit. Yeah. Or, or even the implication that maybe... She might be kind of entertaining a few different men, but that wouldn't. But then the rudeness would be would fall upon her, not upon like it, he would be being rude to Helen, not to Lieutenant Major Carpenter. Right. Um, so yeah. So I actually, yeah, I, I ended no, up re, I, I rewound that scene twice to rewatch it to be like, is there something I missed? And I was like, no. Like I am the alien. Yeah, I am. I am the monster to yeah. these people. <laughs> Yeah, another cool special effect that I liked, um, since I want to say positive things about this movie first, um, <laughs> was uh, when Klaatu goes into his ship mm, and the way yeah. that he, like, his hand motions around and, like, that sets off lights and everything. Yeah. Um, it's clearly very influential because, like, the Star Trek sets seem to be kind of influenced by the way yeah. they imagined yeah, the spaceship. Yeah, and it was more even the way that he interacts with the set, like, yeah. the blocking. Like, it all felt very, like, magical and alien that like you really believed that this guy despite looking like a human being you yeah. believed there was something alien about him and something superior about what he was doing and that thread carried almost all the way through like 98 percent of the way through the movie yeah i would so. agree with that and i think that that um comes down to not only like how alien the hand gestures are because he's he's kind of communicating with his ship through hand gestures but also how um at home he seems with those hand gestures like mm-hmm. it it doesn't feel like acting yeah it feels like he's just kind of going through the paces of this thing that he's done a hundred times before yeah um yeah i thought that that scene in particular was really well done mm-hmm. but yeah no it is very much of its time i think one of my the the part that most broke it for me was when Klaatu talks about the almighty spirit and reveals that he's a god-fearing christian american just like all of us yeah okay so let's get into that um (laughs) so in reading the at least the imdb trivia about this movie after the fact which i shamelessly do and yet also apologize for (laughs) i guess um that line was not in the movie um, but, oh. but that was a decision from on high from production companies or whomever Jesus. that felt like the movie itself was too left-leaning and was too liberal. And so they insisted on this line being put in where this alien, despite being superior to humanity, still acknowledged the almighty God. Okay, so he's not a godlike being. He's simply this kind of... He's he's superior, but not that superior. Yeah, he's not like... He's not God. Yeah, because it is, is a very Christological figure. Like, he comes back from the dead even mm-hmm. um so yeah I, I, I guess i can see that i guess i can see how a certain kind of right-leaning viewer at the time would be a little bit appalled by the film but it does it really breaks me out of 
watching the film. It feels out of place. It does. Because there's no other reference to theology or religion until that point. And it was just like, at the end, they were like, we need to make sure that we get this in because yeah. is that's right before he does his spiel, right yeah. before the end. That's right before he tells humanity what's up, before he gives them the business and gives them their ultimatum. Yeah. The line itself doesn't even make any sense because Helen asks him, did that machine just bring you back to life? And he says, no, only God can do that. This machine just brought me back to life for a short time. And she says, so when are you going to die? Oh, I don't know. So there's no kind of stakes for or stakes for the statement or any kind of explanation of how this machine differs from the almighty spirit. Like there's no mm-hmm. real explanation there as to what the heck he means. Yeah. So I felt, I mean, it doesn't take it out of the movie. It yeah. doesn't remove it from the movie to know that it was wedged no, in no. at the end, but yeah. it does make me feel better about it. <laughs> it like explains it, makes, it a little bit. It makes more sense to be yeah. like, okay, so originally this movie was not intended to have that ham-fisted message at the yes. end. Yeah. It it just <laughs> got hijacked. <laughs> But then when we talk about the end of the movie... Uh, I like that we've begun with theology and the end of the film. Yeah, well, fuck it. <laughs> I like natural flows of conversation. Yeah. I mean, you like, you, you did it, all right? <laughs> um, well, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we can come back. No, no, no. I think we should, because I think that if we kind of establish what the ending's like, then we can kind of point out the stuff that doesn't fit into it. Yeah, I think okay. that... This film is really interesting because it's so famous for, um, it's so famous as this kind of foundational sci-fi text. I was a little bit shocked at how shaggy it was in places. <laughs> like it, it, the the plot doesn't entirely flow in some yeah. parts. Well, I think that this movie partially suffers to me seeing it for the first time and using it for the first time. There's this concept I don't know what to call it like influential itis yeah where if a movie or a text or something is so influential you can't see it for the first time because everything everything since it has borrowed from it yes like Arrival is very clearly yeah exactly it follows (laughs) a very similar structure yeah to this movie I mean so many sci-fi movies follow some kind of structure from this right um and I can't be influenced by a movie. Like, I can't go back in time. I can't shift that. No. And I can't see these these conceits as new for the first time again. No. Yeah. That's part of the problem. So it could be that there is this this greatness that is now imperceptible, or it could be that... It could be that this is just raw material that was um, yeah. that was molded into better things later on. Yeah. I, I can't tell either. One thing that IMDb, IMDb pointed out to me, and so I looked it up afterwards, is that this movie is included in the book "A Thousand One Movies You Must See Before You Die." Oh, really? Which do you have you seen that book? Are you aware? I I, I own it. I haven't read it. Okay, yeah, I, I, it's I, on my shelf. I own it as well. Oh, cool. Uh, knowing that, I went and I read the description that they had to try and understand, to try and get a glimpse of mm-hmm. why this movie is included as one of the movies you must see. Yeah. Um, and the book didn't help. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'm gonna I'm gonna read you three parts. Okay, from it. they're just gonna be the Netflix quotes, aren't they? Or the Netflix quotes? Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, okay, so one is Klaatu escapes from the hospital and meets Helen Patricia Neal, a beautiful woman of exceptional intelligence. Which mm. I was like, why? No. Where do you get exceptional yeah. intelligence from? Not that I'm trying to like slag. No, on but she seems kind of secretaries to be more anything, representative but... of like 
normal Americana. Yeah. Yeah. She's an apple pie mom who's exactly. just trying to like make do after her husband died. Like her intelligence doesn't no, play it doesn't into seem to it really kind of weigh into it. Her son's intelligence more. Like, yeah, or his, very like, much so. Curiosity. Um, then they go on to describe Patricia Neal again, saying Neal, a symbol of feminine bravery, sums up the best of what humanity has to offer. I okay. didn't see that no. either. In fact, I found myself frustrated with her lack of bravery. Yes, <laughs> when yeah. she was cowering from the robot, <laughs> yes. that she had been explicitly told the words to say you to know it. Know the password. Just and, say it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe try it before you fall over a bunch of chairs. <laughs> Yeah, that bugged me. And then at the end, it says, Never bettered, the day the Earth stood still is a classic on many fronts, not the least of which for its anti-war message and clever visual effects, as well as Bernard Herrmann's haunting use of the theremin, an early electronic instrument. I'll so give you the theremin thing, thing. Yeah, I did see that come up quite a bit, that this was apparently um, the first one. Like, uh, Bernard Herrmann, who did also did the um, score for Psycho, so he did some pretty influential stuff, um, he'd used theremins in movies before, but this is the one where it really kind of captured the imagination. And so it stuck as the sci-fi, the sci-fi instrument. instrument. The yeah. UFO instrument. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's probably the most influential part of this movie is the score. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess I can call I was, to that. I was just like, never bettered, really? A thousand and one <laughs> things in movies never. you see before you die? <laughs> Citizen Kane is crud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that came first. But yeah, I suppose. I, so I was like, what do you mean by never bettered? Like, it like the the remake wasn't better. Okay, no, I'll give okay. you that. But uh, yeah. I mean, like sci-fi has been done. <laughs> almost everything has been done better since then. So I guess that that book is not the, uh, the supreme text that yeah. IMDb makes it out to be. <laughs> um, but we've we've uh, bounced around talking about the ending. So the mm-hmm. ending is I don't want to say unique because it's not unique, but it's notable in that it is not a narrative resolution. It is a plea to humanity to stop fucking around with nuclear weapons. Yeah. Which is not something I've ever seen before outside of like a video that maybe got wheeled in to teach me a lesson in a Yeah, classroom. it almost feels like a kind of leftist propaganda film um, mm-hmm. from the time, which is which is really interesting. I like I, I like that as a kind of history piece, but it does not make for good drama, I would say. Like there's no... There's no real resolution to much of the plot at well, the end. For us, yeah, I am like I am not a history student by any stretch of the imagination. But I mean, f- like this movie came out in 1951. Yeah. We're talking about just six years after you know nuclear bombs were used. Yeah, when the Cold War was really starting to kind of get going. Right. So I mean, this. I mean, to have a movie character who claimed total moral ethical superiority come on and say no stop doing this yeah i think that that's i mean that would have been much more poignant i suppose right now in this very moment recording in september of 2017 Mm -hmm. where nuclear war seems more plausible than it has ever in my life the last 20 years yep and i imagine it probably landed better in 1951 than even than it does right now even with this looming threat of North Korean which did you did you read the the CBC thing today where no I didn't okay where um, a US military official was asked like hey just out of curiosity if North Korea launches missiles at Canada do you shoot them down they were like our 
it's not policy for us to shoot down anything that's launched at Canada. Oh, good to know. Um, they were like, in the moment, we might decide to, but as of right now, it's that's not on paper. Policy. Yeah. So I was just like, <laughs> okay. And then Canada's response was that our current policy is diplomacy. But apparently North Korea likes us and they think that we're like a very friendly country. Okay. So, I'm okay with that. So that was a neat. Jeez. That was a, <laughs> I, I like, I hadn't, it hadn't even occurred to me that I was kind of relying on yeah. the American military to protect me from, oh, yeah. no, from I, nuclear devastation. But then to find that out. That we are basically like the little brother standing behind the big brother. Yeah. Yeah. But then I also worry that like, okay, well maybe to show that you're serious, you bomb Canada instead of Guam. <laughs> well, then, they can reach Canada. They can't yeah. reach any of the U.S. except for Alaska. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I don't know, maybe in a few months, this movie's poignance, we'll, this movie yeah. will feel a bit more poignant than it had. I'm surging back into dominance. <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah, so I think that, I mean, at the time, it, I imagine that people would have left the theater talking. Yeah, yeah, and I, it, it does feel like it's not hard science fiction in the sense that, like, there's no kind of, it's not like Interstellar where they... Um, tried to recreate what a black hole would look like there there isn't hard science in it clearly but it does feel like hard science fiction in the sense that it is a thinky movie it's got more ideas behind it than a um action oriented science fiction it's more star trek than star wars shall we say (laughs) sure (laughs) um i did find like that last speech i found really really interesting because it not only did it feel like kind of American desperation of the situation they've got themselves in by creating the atomic bomb. Like, the the entire thing is based around the Cold War. Klaatu ends up going rogue because he can't get both sides to sit sit down and listen to him. Um, And it felt like this kind of fantasy of, oh, I wish that somebody would just come down and just give us something to band around some kind of ultimatum that would get us out of this situation that would unite us again in the way that world war ii had kind of united these two sides but it felt very kind of hypocritical to me in the sense that klaatu has spent the entire movie saying we have transcended violence we have transcended war and if you don't we're going to bomb the shit out of you um, we are going to reduce you to a cinder is the word that he uses. Yeah. I I had problems with the ultimate message. And I was ready to follow Klaatu. I was ready to mm-hmm. listen to what he had to say. I believed him because he was smug. Yes. And because he had <laughs> He's a cool wonderfully patronizing and stuff. Like when he's talking to the Secretary of the United States, who I don't know why the American president was absent from this movie. I suppose because yeah. they were trying to show like how many like political blocks there are to actually how difficult anything done. it would be to get your chickens in a row. Yeah, yeah. So to even like talk to the president to get the president to talk to the other world leaders, like there is this extra barrier. Yeah, but I mean the, the American president did seem like notably absent from this movie. I don't know if they were trying to like not put an identity to the president themselves. I, yeah, that would make sense. But they do say openly, well, the government is democratic right now. Like, they're they're Democrats, not Republicans. So they yeah. do already kind of place it in a specific time. Even the secretary acknowledges that everybody wishes things were different. Like, when Klaatu says, 
basically says that he had underestimated human stupidity and the mm-hmm. secretary is like yeah no kidding right <laughs> i've been at this for longer than you exactly yeah. and I, I was not expecting the secretary to win the battle of cynicism i was expecting klaatu to have the superiority and to to know enough about humanity so you're you're hoping for klaatu to be able to get through and you know teach the secretary that you know it is actually like you can rally people together you just need to give them a good enough cause and then it turns out the secretary is right and there are administrative and bureaucratic blocks to accomplishing anything including saving the world yeah um which i think is the point and is a harrowing thing to watch um and then you worry when klaatu goes out in the world like who are you going to meet like is this going to change whether or not you feel like we are worth saving right yeah um and thankfully he meets a plucky young boy who (laughs) i don't know like is that that's one of the that kid I want to get back to the yeah, to the yeah. speech, but that kid is it's just, it's a type of acting that I don't know if if that's what kids used to act like, or if that's just, or if that's just what Leave It to Beaver kind of yeah, or if that's just like us. yeah, oh geez, exactly. Yeah. Like I I would be very curious to talk to an older person and ask <laughs> see if that's what kids because all of the kids in this movie there's like three of them and they all act like that. They yeah. all have this very kind of shucks. Let's leave a fever kind of <laughs> yeah. moment. Yeah. I don't know, but it's pretty annoying. I'll tell you that. It is, but Klaatu <laughs> seems charmed by it. Yeah, he at seems, least. yeah. Well, he's patronizing enough that you pair him with a kid and it kind of works out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I see that part of the movie, this whole kind of second act where Klaatu escapes from the hospital slash prison, the, the area where he's been being kept. And goes out to live an ordinary life and meet ordinary citizens. They seem to kind of lose the plot halfway through as mm-hmm. the protagonist changed from Klaatu to Helen Benson. Um, where, like, he was supposed to be going out to learn about what humans are like. And for that first day when he's going around with Bobby, he sees all of the people that have been killed by the war uh, in the cemetery. He sees kind of the what human genius can be in the form of Abraham Lincoln because it's a very American film um, and then they just leave it like he there's no clear decision that he makes about humanity it's, or yeah, anything and he and he spends more time trying to impress a kid than he does learning about humanity like yeah it peaks at Abraham Lincoln and he's like let me tell you about rocket trains sometimes little boy <laughs> they don't need tracks yeah yeah. Where we're going, we don't need. <laughs> it's just like, okay. Yeah. But, I mean, there was fun to be had in that, in oh, having yeah. this, this outsider alien. Like, that whole second act is a lot of humanity being looked at from an outside perspective and being smirked at. Yeah. There's a lot of smirking that happens in that second act, <laughs> yes. whether it's a music box or anything that the kid, who I assume is named Billy, even though I don't think it it's, is. They're it's just, Bobby. Bobby. Yeah, yeah okay. so pretty much. <laughs> Yeah, it's like that that kid in the Troy McClure videos that he always talks yeah, to. Well, yes. Timmy, that's totally the vibe. Anyway, um, so yeah, we have that whole second smirking act. But then when we get to the end and he gets to be all superior again, I, I found that speech kind of disturbing. And maybe I am being a nightmare to certain people at this point in saying this, but the two messages that that thing is telling you is you need to give up violence, including the right to protect yourself, because there's this threat of larger violence and you have to trust that nobody else is going to use violence. Yeah. So it's complete total disarmament, which I get wanting to do, especially in 1951. Yeah. 
But it's also like when they call in the police as the precedent for that, they're like, we're basically doing the same thing you already did. It's just instead of giving guns and power to police officers, we're giving it to giant robots who can incinerate the entire planet. It's the same thing. <laughs> um, and just really trusting that these robots are going to do their job and continue to do it properly. And that is so 1950s, right? This kind of idea that, that robots are going to save things rather than the kind of more 60s, 70s, 80s sci-fi where robots go crazy. Yeah, right? and I mean, it's, with him tying it into the concept of police. I mean, this movie was still trusted police. Like this is yes. 1951, yeah. right? Like this is not 2017. Yeah. And I mean, that's where I was thinking of it as mm-hmm. well. I was like in 2017, there's a lot more fear of the power of the police right now. And yeah. I mean, with police being given access to military equipment and 40% of Twitter being <laughs> devoted to <laughs> footage of people of color being assaulted by police. And yeah. I mean, the NFL imploding right now with people protesting against that. So, I mean, for for this movie to tell me, okay, trust the police so that we can focus on material gain. Like, the the line that Klaatu uses, the specific one is, you need to give up your violence for safety so that you can focus on more, quote, profitable enterprises. And yeah. I think that's very explicitly <laughs> capitalist, right? It's, well, it's about as Ayn Rand as you can get. Um, and that's not just talking about his obsession with trains. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I fully agree that... What they've done is just kind of pushed the violence to a further end. Like they've, it's, okay, we're not going to be violent. We're going to just hand off the potential for violence to uh, something that we don't have to bear on our consciences. Yeah, it's it's very much this, well, if you have nothing to, like, don't worry about it. Because if you're not doing anything wrong, then nothing bad will happen to you. Like mm-hmm. there's that trust in an institution yeah, that exactly. you're giving over to automation. Yeah, is something well, if you that, didn't like, have anything in the car, why do you mind us searching it? It's exactly, the same kind yeah. of impulse. Yeah, so it, just, which, it made me very, it made me very nervous. Yeah, which that, I think is what surprised me when you said that this film came across as too left wing, because well, from not to me, no, 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 <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, at the time, because from like the kind of left wing stance nowadays, how our politics has morphed, um, it feels pretty right wing that this is violence will be enacted upon you if you do not follow precisely how we define the state which yeah like it it just seemed and also by the way support capitalism in all its forms yes (laughs) and the almighty spirit Um, have some diamonds (laughs) (laughs) yeah right like like that like, like that that is the message of the movie is that the pathway to peace is the seeking of personal gain and the willingness to give up total personal autonomy for the sake of security yeah a a piece through subjection to possible violence and technology yeah so like eek is what i'm saying (laughs) yeah no it 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 does not come across as the kind of sunny optimism that i think it was intended to be it comes across as a really dire threat of what uh a possible future earth could look like it's also like I think it's intentionally naive in a way too cuz I mentioned that uh it's Bobby, right? Yeah. <laughs> Bobby Benson. Um, yeah, I mentioned that uh, Klaatu refers to like talks about human stupidity mm-hmm. and specifically rails against people listening to fear over reason, which fine, I'm with you up till that point. But the person who seems to jive the most with the way he thinks is 
Bobby when when Klaatu says, oh, you know, where I'm from, we don't have war. And Bobby's like, oh, golly, mister, that sounds like a great idea. And Klaatu's like, I know. Yeah. Fucking right. <laughs> Get some robots in here. And like, yeah. Jesus, like, why will nobody listen to me? All we need is laser robots. Come on. Exactly. I was just like, I was like, I was like if your politics can be reduced to an understood by... Bobby Benson. By a 10-year-old boy, then yeah. you're probably oversimplifying it. And I get that you're probably trying to make that point that, like, oh, through the eyes of a child, like, that's, that's yeah. the kind of innocence that we need to return to. But, like, <laughs> if it was that easy, we would have done it already. <laughs> yeah. I, and I'm worried that I'm coming across being like, no, we all need guns in our pockets <laughs> to fight off the giant robots. Like, that's not what I'm saying. No. But it's just, yeah. like, it's not this cut and dry. No. it And, and, and that's the thing is that it just comes across as um, such a blunt tool to deal with an extremely complicated situation. And I think the film starts off with really good intentions about talk, talking about how complicated the situation is and then comes up with just the stupidest, most simple <laughs> solution to this that's possible. Um, I think in regard to like purposeful naivete, there was another thing which I found really hilarious in the film, which is how there is no government conspiracy involved in this thing there is a complete lack of conspiracy which is after kind of the 90s horror wave of the x-files completely absurd to me watching it where Klaatu gets out from the hospital the first thing we hear is the press around the world reporting on this that there is an alien in our midst and the government has leaked this information to the press and been totally fine with the idea that the press the news are reporting on this threat that there is no kind of security around how news is put out there mm-hmm. um which just seems completely bizarre to me the idea that in a post x-files horror movie if a ufo landed the whole kind of area would be shut down the press would be cut off from any kind of access to this alien any kind of knowledge about its whereabouts these are the beats that we're accustomed to in sci-fi nowadays and it's just completely absent in this mm. kind of sci-fi or text. Well, and I was looking out for news coverage in this movie, by and large, because of talking about Arrival right. last time. And oh, talking right. About how, Which... like, how information was disseminated. And I mean, that was a different story because there were multiple ships in multiple countries. So there was this kind of forced international cooperation. Yes, exactly. As opposed to in this one, there was just like a notable absence of control of information, which I was kind of <laughs> cool with. I was like, great. But Arrival also had some stuff to say about like how that information gets disseminated and, yes. and morphed as it goes on. Yes. But in this, what I noticed is that um, there wasn't really any kind of control, but there was spin. Yeah, that's and true. And there was a lot of, I mean, now we would, I guess we wouldn't talk about it in terms of like AM radio jibber jabber. Um, it would be more hot takes on Twitter or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, this was a great smirking Klaatu moment where he's sitting there listening to the person on the radio talk about how, like, this alien is a menace! And that you've got this <laughs> Alex, Alex Jones, Jones type. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just railing against him. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, everybody having their own little opinion uh, at, sitting, at the there, sitting there around the table. Yeah. And that that made me more kind of conscientious of, like, public opinion and how how much of an effect that could have because that could have turned into a mob mentality if enough people had and at times seemed very close to doing so actually where they even when the kid said he has three eyes and uh, like a head like a rectangle like there's clearly um a way in which this information is just kind of taking off and taking a life of its own yeah finding a life of its own yeah yeah 
Um, but it, it didn't quite get to that point. And I don't think that, I mean, there wasn't really anything being said about communication in no. the movie. It was just more, that's that's how people would talk about it. People would have their own takes. People would dramatize it. And then Klaatu would sit back and have a quiet chuckle to himself about how silly all these dumb humans are. And I think that's part of it, is that this film is very heavily invested in the idea that humans aren't necessarily evil or bad. They're just dumb. And so they just need to be led to the right answer. And that's what you get with Professor Barnhart, who is supposed to be one of the most intelligent people in the U.S. He needs to be led to the right mathematical answer on his research. Um, There's this kind of sense that even the army, they're not evil people. They're not bad people. They're not um, abusing any of their power. They're just kind of trying to in a very stupid way, get to the solution that is so obvious to Klaatu. Yeah. the mo- Overall, it was very... Is there an opposite to exceptionalism? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, it, it was... At the time, like, you would figure... For a movie that's so, like, rah-rah capitalism, rah-rah America, rah-rah everything, it's not rah-rah humanity. No, like, it isn't. In his parting words, he's like, you guys can blow yourselves up for all we care. Just don't bring that shit into my yard. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, don't come into my house That's that. That's all it was. It was just yeah. like, stay in your lane and like, don't, don't, like, you can be as petty as you want. And if, basically, they, they put them in a timeout yeah. with mortal consequences. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if there's a, there's probably a better analogy out there. It was like, you know, you can keep being like petty and squabbly and fighting amongst each other. That's fine. But if you bring that into the international or intergalactic world, like we're not, we have no time for that. Yeah. So we will destroy you. Yeah, I think the implication. And it seemed totally plausible that, he, and I mean, he, he says to the audience and to the people watching at the crowd, he says like, it is now up to you. And you don't know how that's going to go. Like in the future of this world, it could go that they're like, oh, okay, yeah, we're inspired like Osmandia style and we're going to Watchmen reference. <laughs> Um, you know, we're going to band together and we're going to all disarm the bombs. Yeah. Um, or it could be that they do end up blowing themselves up or it could be that they're like, you know, whatever. Those guys don't know how great we are. You're not the boss of me. Exactly. And then they try something and then they get blown up by robots. Like any of these endings are plausible, (laughs) which makes you just kind of go like, oh man, humans. (laughs) God. Yeah. Like I think the implication Perhaps it's supposed to be that we are going to have to band together in order to do this, but it just, it it seems very open-ended. It just seemed weird. It was like American ideals are greater than humanity itself. Yeah. Which is strange. Like, (laughs) the ideals that we belong to and believe in are so great. And I mean, we get this as well with the Almighty Spirit thing. Like, God and you know like those concepts are so great that they transcend even the concept of humanity yeah. because humanity is you know muddled by all these politics and whatever but like capitalism <laughs> capitalism is forever <laughs> I think, i'm putting a lot of weight on that whole on that line well i think that it's it's weight that is supposed to be there yeah, profitable I think we're supposed to, yeah. <laughs> if this movie is to work at all we're supposed to take that part very very seriously i think they just didn't do a great job with the point that we were supposed to take really seriously i i, I think it also kind of breaks the movie down and I think this is why I'm so uncomfortable with the second act is that it's supposed to be apparently about him going out making real connections with human beings he keeps saying that he's longing to kind of meet regular humans learn about them he has learned about them he's had kind of 
close connections with them. There's almost seems to be a kind of triangle forming between like a human man and a human woman and him. And then he turns around and says, no, I'm superior to you all. Uh, you can blow yourselves <laughs> yeah, up right? if you want, but don't bring that shit into space because yeah. we will end you. Peace. Yeah. <laughs> and then see ya. Gort out. Yeah. And yeah. then he does almost like a winky face to Helen and then flies five months off into space. Yeah. I mean, you think about why he even stops to form that relationship because his whole mission is to get all of the leaders of humanity together to talk about it. And then that fails. So then he says that his plan is to get out and mingle with humanity so that he can figure out how he can get his message across. Mm-hmm. But the way that he does that is to just find the smartest person that a 10-year-old knows <laughs> and then to get that guy to do it. And like that's his whole reason for bonding with humanity. And then, yeah. and then like you said, he forms these bonds that he has no intention of following through on. He's just kind of like killing time. Yeah, exactly. And uh, which makes the... To serve no purpose. It makes it feel as though the film is killing time at the same time. Like, it just feels like they're trying to pad out this concept. And then pad it out again at the end with a 20-minute cab chase. Exactly. I don't know if it's actually 20 minutes, but... It feels like it. Good Lord. Yeah. (laughs) Bad drag. (laughs) Well, the way that you film a really good car chase is you have one car trolling through just regular city traffic, and then a bunch of cars that are just stopped watching them as they go by. That's... If I know anything from yes. film class, that is how you create a great car chase. Yes, you give the impression that there are police parked at every intersection. Because you can only afford one Jeep. Yeah. <laughs> and you also, oddly, have a bunch of footage of Jeeps like speeding up and then doing like a spinning park thing, but yeah. not at the destination. Well, I guess that was them arriving at their it stopping points. It looks cool. Points. So. <laughs> yeah, that was something that I mean, that I, I, I sympathize with how poorly it's aged. But I think that there were times when they were like, look how cool this stunt is. And yeah. look how cool this special effect is. Like when they're frying everything. Yeah. And then they do it over and over again. I was like, I saw the effect, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Okay. No, I know that you know how to do it. Yeah. We got it. Yeah. I think that, um, so I was reading up on this film before I came in because I'm a nerdlinger. And, um, reading. I know. It's reading. A movie podcast. <laughs> um, and they were explaining that like sci-fi had started taking off. Uh, kind of in the 1940s as a popular medium on TV, but quite often they didn't have any budget whatsoever. And so there was a huge suspension of disbelief because you really could see the wires, for example. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And so this was one of the first sci-fi films that had a pretty major budget. It was 1.2 million in 1950, 1949, 1950. That was, was a lot like of money. $8 trillion, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, roughly $8 trillion. A lot of diamonds. Yeah, it's it's basically like three candy bars. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a lot of money. It was kind of a serious budget. And this was one of the first sci-fi films to be able to afford pretty good special effects. So I guess that's why they were lingering on it because yeah. this would have been super novel at the time. Yeah, it's just, it, yeah. And I it mean, just, it's, it's not novel, it's pandering now to us. Yeah, to us, yeah. yeah. And that's where I sympathize that like this, yeah. there's no spectacle for us. No. Um, there was one kind of cool thing though when the tank is pulling out and like it skids around the corner. Oh yeah, because it was like, so wet on the road. I was like, holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> and that, that one guy was standing right there and I was like, I bet... Uh, there is a take of that guy getting clipped by a tank. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no question in my mind. And that probably was not a paid stunt person. Workers' comp was not happy about that. Yeah. Workers' yeah. comp in 1951? <laughs> I think it was his, mostly just black lung people. His widow maybe wasn't happy about it. Uh, he was probably a child. <laughs> What's yeah, the most ex- 13 year old kid? What's the most expendable person we can find? 
yeah. I mean, did this? Did I mean the movie's long, right? Like the movie is is. I don't know how long the movie is, but, but it it's sure long. feels <laughs> long. Yeah, it feels like a Twilight Zone episode, and not a good one that they they tacked on a like a a big piece it's in the padded, middle. Yeah. yeah, I I gotta say, like it is an interesting historical watch. It is not a like fun romp, shall we say? <laughs> it was. Like sometimes, like I had yeah. some fun. Like I've mentioned yeah. the smirking thing just because I felt like that was a really cute thing to do with this alien figure yes. to have them amused by humanity. Yeah, and it, it, it... as opposed to being like downright <laughs> patronizing and condescending, I was like, okay, well, fine, have some fun. Yeah, silly white people. It under it underlines a kind of distance between him and humanity because they can't do any makeup or anything, right? Yeah, um, yeah and I thought it was I thought it was well done. And I mean, there were a couple other laughs that I had as well. Like when the when I think it's the surgeon who pulled the bullets out of him. Sees, oh, yes. sees that Klaatu has uh, cured himself with some kind of salve. Yeah, salve. I don't know how you pronounce that word. And he's just like, I don't know whether to get drunk or give up the practice of medicine. <laughs> Where he's just like, he's realized that everything he's worked for is just Complete, nothing compared nothing. to the technology of this other race. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like <laughs> he's just so defeated. So he turns to alcohol, and that made me laugh because, well. Yeah. We live in a dark time, but yeah, but I mean, like, it has some funny. Yeah, no, moments. the the script is has its moments. Yeah. I think I think that like for all of its breachiness, there is a real attempt to kind of be an entertaining yeah. kind of adventure. Yeah, um, there it was, just doesn't always get it. Yeah, there was one part where I wasn't sure if they were making a joke or if it was just being a bad movie, and that was when uh, when Klaatu goes through his whole basically his prank on humanity where he shuts down the world for 30 minutes right yeah which i thought was a pretty cool conceit yeah um in and, the keanu reeves movie i think that's how he ends the like he leaves the planet turning off all that electricity because it's more of an eco yeah kind of yeah message. Where, where his ship is actually an arc yeah type. i i can't I, remember i don't remember i didn't pay enough attention we should watch it again <laughs> no no we should not if it shows up on netflix we're watching it and you're coming back <laughs> I think it might be on Netflix it's not. now. No? Okay. Check. Good. All right. Um, Thank Christ. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, Jaden Smith is the kid in that. Really? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> so he's in a lot of bad sci-fi then. Yeah. Did you see After Earth? I No. I I have not subjected myself to that yet. It's I on Netflix. I want to. Oh, it's, no. Is it? Yeah. It's not a bearable watch. It's not terrific. Oh, I do like bad movies, though. Yeah, but it's yeah. It's not a good bad movie. Yeah, and I mean, like it. It makes you be like, it makes you feel like signs was a fluke. Yeah, and I mean, I, okay, Six Sense and Signs, I think, are terrific. Unbreakable isn't as good as I used to think it was. Yeah, but I mean, to know that like M Night Shyamalan made After Earth, although total side note, um, After Earth is largely not a Shyamalan movie. Oh, it's really? A Will Smith. Like Will Smith had the idea, and he was like, "I want to make this movie. I want to make it with my son." Okay. And he was friends. I with mean, that's, and he's, that's a cute idea. Yeah, and he's but... friends with M Night Shyamalan. He was okay. Like, okay. And M Night Shyamalan was like, "Well, my reputation's shit anyway. <laughs> sure, I'll make your movie." Yeah. Um. So, I mean, Will yeah. Smith doesn't have the best taste in projects either. Um, not anymore. No. No. Yeah. <laughs> he had a few. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, the the part where I wasn't sure if it was a joke or mm, not was mm-hmm. when the Earth shuts down for half an hour, which at first I was very concerned about because he was like, oh, we're, let's do something, what was it, dramatic but not devastating or, yes. or something to that effect? I forget the exact phrasing, which was good. It was it was a good phrase that I don't remember. <laughs> um, but I was like, but 
Wait, you shut down all the electricity? Yeah, I wrote down in my notes, and everyone on life support died. Exactly. That was my exact thought. But then they follow it up afterwards being like, except for airplanes and hospitals. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thanks. Oh, good. Okay. I'm glad you covered that base. (laughs) That was, yeah. Anyway, so when they're doing the montage of shit breaking, it's so varied, the levels of problems that people are having. (laughs) Because... It's meant to show you that all of humanity is inconvenienced and is supposed to be in fear yeah. of this thing. And what are the most fearful things we can think of? Okay, we've got traffic stopping. We've got all the lights going out. And then we've got someone's milkshake machine breaking. And a guy <laughs> can't start his onboard motor in his fishing boat. And <laughs> a guy can't milk his cow. Yeah. And I mean, okay, that's like disruption of industry. Yeah. But like, somebody's trying to make a that. fucking milkshake. And you're trying to make me feel like... <laughs> Like the whole point of that stunt was to make you feel like humanity was vulnerable. Yeah. And I am not feeling vulnerable when I can't drink a milkshake, right? <laughs> so I didn't know if that was supposed to be like a little joke that like, oh my God. And then also we have petty needs as well. Or if it was just like, uh, I, I ran out of things for this montage. Yeah, no, I I, I didn't get that either. Like I, like I think it was supposed to perhaps be that it just kind of, it's infiltrated everything. Like every aspect of our daily lives has been uh, stopped. But to show these kind of very quotidian moments is not effective screenplay writing like that yeah. doesn't it doesn't work well and then also to have professor barnhart say that he's enjoying it cuz he seems to like finally have some peace to do some work and well it, he was also i mean he's all he's feeling privileged right? yeah. in that he's finally having a conversation with somebody who can hold his own so that he can look up to plus he's got this insider look at this whole secret plus he was the one who asked for this to happen so he's kind of like wielding this power yeah that like i have affected the entire world so he's got like this real scientific chub going on yeah so i get it although he, he like he's oddly pleased at <laughs> at his, uh, his not his secretary his, but his, his I, like housekeeper i suppose she yeah. seems to be i don't know she's, she's shaken yeah and he's hard about it. well yeah he asks her are you afraid she says yes and he says like, yes good excellent <laughs> it's like whoa guy oh. yeah which I mean, at the very least shows an emotional distance with his yeah. staff that was <laughs> troubling <laughs> But uh, yeah, that sequence had some problems. It was yeah. a cool idea. That, it is like, a great idea. Like if you're going to, if you're trying to make a statement without causing harm, like, okay, yeah, that's a terrific concept. And this idea that like this one shuttle, it's not like a warship or anything. It's just this one little shuttle can shut down the entirety of the Earth's mm-hmm. electricity somehow is, that's that's a fantastic show of power. It's just that other than the music during that sequence, which was really cool, um, most of the way that it was filmed with this kind of B-roll um, and badly painted masks was not particularly effective. Yeah. Speaking of music, um, my wife was in the room watching or reading, <laughs> doing something else, um, being greatly bored by this movie. And she noticed that every time she heard dramatic music, she was like, okay, I'll look at the screen and see what cool thing is going on. Maybe the robot is back. And it was always like cars driving by buildings. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't know if that was a different language of film. Or if they were trying to pump up something that was inherently a little bit weak. I don't know. I don't know what it was. But after she pointed out, I was like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of like strong musical cues to nothing. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Like even, even the 
scenes that should have stakes, like Bobby Benson following Klaatu back to the ship. There's this kind of heightened musical cue during that, but there's just no... The way that it is filmed, there seems to be no tension in that sequence. Same with the car chase. As we've said, there just seems to be no tension in these sequences. Um, there's no sense when he's sitting down listening to the radio that people are hunting him. There's no sense of any kind of tension or that he's concerned at all. He's just kind of patronizingly listening to mm-hmm. these buffoons on the radio. Like It seems to be that everything was written to have a kind of high level of tension and then it was cranked down in volume. Yeah. There was a moment where I felt some actual tension. That was when they were in the cab chase and he turns to her and says, okay, you know, basically just in case anything happens, you need yeah. to know this phrase. And I was like, oh, they're prepping him to die. Like something bad is going to happen. And yeah. you feel that and you're like, I don't want that to happen. Like humanity, come on. Like, yeah. We've had two strikes already. <laughs> and then they gun him down with a with a machine. Like a, yeah. yeah. They shoot him in the back. Like, yeah. As he's <laughs> Although at that point, I mean, everybody's, yeah, I mean, that's after the big show of force, so everybody's yes. scared of this guy now, yeah. and they're like, okay, we're going to neutralize him. And, they, you know, they they set you up for it, and you understand where humanity's coming from. Mm-hmm. Plus, you, know, you can't have a Jesus analogy without, without him dying. Yeah. I. That being said, like, particularly in that sequence, you're right, I did feel this kind of gut wrench when he got shot down in the street. Like, that was, that was effective. Um, but at the same time it just kind of underlined the sense that he is supposed to be this person who has taken the time to learn the world's languages. He's done all of this research and yet he's gone about this in the most, in the most tactless way possible. There seems to be very little kind of logic behind how he's trying to get the world's attention other than I'm going to land and they're going to listen to me somehow. There seems to be no, um, real thought going on behind this, and it, it, watching this as a 2017er, it really made me feel like this was not the guy for the job. Like, did they send well, no, their? I, I, I'll. I'm gonna disagree with you there. Okay, because I'm feeling feisty. <laughs> um, I felt like it was more that he overestimated humanity. Oh, and like okay. you're supposed to be self pitying after this movie, right? They're like, oh God, what have we become? Yeah. Um, because he goes down and he genuinely expects to be able to have a civil conversation between the leaders of these countries. That's what he expects to happen. And he's like, no, stupid secretary guy. Like, go tell your president that I want to talk to everybody. And he's shocked that that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So I think it's more that he's just like, I don't actually get how humanity works. So that's why I'm going to, you know, yeah, roll around with this 10-year-old boy. <laughs> <laughs> he just, it, it feels like he brags quite a bit in that early sequence about all of the research and work that he's done and then seems to be kind of after that there would seem to be no plan b is basically what i'm saying yeah 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 i suppose so which i mean he was able to think on his feet enough to bring the scientific community together yeah it's true and to to go about doing that and to do the show of force so he did kind of doctor who his way into like (laughs) barnard's attention which was good yeah he does a good job of seeming superior all the way through mm-hmm. and being believable in that. I think it's more about humanity falling short of... Yeah, yeah, I can know, understand the, that. The, yeah. the low bar that he's already set for us. <laughs> I also appreciate that you've got a little Gort doodle oh, on, your, yeah. on your notebook. <laughs> it was a slow movie. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that I found interesting was the way that they consistently filmed Klaatu when he was coming out of the spaceship at the beginning and the end consistently looked like the covers of Pulp Fiction at the time. And 
the way well, like that the poster for this is oh, yeah. so pulp. It's amazing. <laughs> it's really, really fabulous. And the this kind of setup of white virile human man basically <laughs> traveling the cosmos with a robot sidekick um was such a big thing in the pulps at that time but of course like the what this film is doing is it's somebody else that's come to earth we are the kind of primitive bizarre planet that he has come to it was really interesting to me and um I don't know if I have much to say about it but the the way that they I think the way that they filmed him coming out and looking so exceptionally human at the beginning and at the end actually does a really good job of making Earth feel less human or less a part of that rational, very masculine in the 1940s kind of Mm -hmm. definition of that um, exploration of the unknown. Um, Earth and uh, its inhabitants, us, become kind of othered from that mm-hmm. we are sided necessarily with Klaatu and his supremacy at mm-hmm. the beginning of it and I mean the only other point that I had that I think I'm going to try to awkwardly go into off of that is <laughs> when you talk about seeing the worst of humanity and humanity being disappointing especially to this this incredible extra to Christ real or whatever we're gonna that's a great turn of phrase I'm gonna use forever um is I mean, there are bad guys in this, right? Like, there are people who, despite the overall, like, failure of bureaucracy of humanity, there are individual boobs of people who who are, like, dragging down the median decency of humanity. (laughs) So, like, the fact that Tom starts off as this, like, decent guy who seems to be trying to make, speaking in what I believe is the language of the time, like, make an honest woman out of Mrs. Benson. Yeah, yeah. Um, who just leaves her kid alone for hours at a time with no set anyway. Um, <laughs> with with someone they met like the evening before. Yeah, she seems a little dicey about it, but she's easily talked into yeah, it because yeah. Tom's gonna go take her to Bone Zone. Um, but I mean, like, yeah, they like they go off, they have these dates and everything. But yeah. I mean, Tom becomes a real dick. Yeah, no, Tom, like, he. Cause he he starts- seems to have a complete change of character because he stops listening to Helen. He. Um, like he starts going off on his own, and that that character just doesn't seem particularly situated in the plot. Like he just kind of <laughs> is whatever the scene needs him to be. I do get like there is a clear dichotomy between him and Klaatu in the sense that like Klaatu is constantly saying, "You guys are thinking out of fear. You need to be more rational about all of this. Stop playing into fear." And he's very cutely an insurance agent he's a guy who profits off of fear of the future right um which makes me sound like i'm really against insurance which i'm not (laughs) um (laughs) but no it's it's like it's telling right it's 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 set up to be this kind of dichotomy and so you know from the beginning that there's going to be a struggle between them but that struggle seems to rise up sometimes and then not at others it's just at the convenience of the film i think that it gives you to give the movie as much credit as i think i can I think that they are trying to show the different ways that you can respond to truth and greatness. Right. Yeah. Because Helen is like, okay, well, this guy's on the right path. This Klaatu, like, he's right, and we need to make change, and I need to support him, and I recognize that this is a figure that I need to support and endorse and help him achieve his mission. Because, this is somebody I can get behind. Yeah, and this yeah. is somebody who I should get behind because I'm being introduced to ideas that are new but are clearly right. Like, capital R. Oh, no, not capital R because that implies... <laughs> well, in a anyway. way. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, 
you know, basically, yeah. And then Tom is the alternative. Tom is the person who witnesses greatness and then rather than being inspired by it, becomes jealous of it and wants to tear it down. Yeah, exactly. And so those are the two different ways that you can go when you're faced with a new idea. And I'm not not to say that every new idea deserves to be embraced. No. Yeah. But, I mean, that's that's what happens, right? Like, you, you need to either accept something and go with it and support it or you fight against it and you you feel something internally within yourself that seems like okay this is wrong i need to do everything that i can and then he resorts to petty means to go about trying to break it down yeah i mean he's not quite judas but he's no, not but that he's... far from it <laughs> yeah it, it, it's it's interesting because his rejection of klatu is not because he has weighed what klatu has to say despite not being given the chance but he hasn't really considered that stuff he tears Klaatu down because Klaatu is inconvenient for himself as a person who wants to get with Helen like he he I think that like I I fully agree with what you're saying and I think that the film denigrates him even further by having him uh react before he's even heard Klaatu out do you know what I mean yeah 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 I mean he's he's limited by the worst instincts of humanity yeah yeah because um, we suck is <laughs> seems to be the message the, of this the film? reason that yeah the day the earth stood still yeah well thank yeah. god we got those robot police though yeah yeah thank god thank almighty spirit thank almighty spirit <laughs> i appreciate yeah i thought it was interesting that they said almighty spirit and they didn't at least like they didn't say god i mean yeah. they, they used like part of the holy trinity or whatever yeah um but they didn't say god like that seemed like that yeah was there maybe, was at least that a was a compromise thing yeah. it was like okay it's the ethereal part of it it's yeah. not it's like the you know the the, the wispy <laughs> he, jesus christ didn't do this kind of like band tour of all of the planets oh my god <laughs> no that would be way too mormon to <laughs> yeah no that's yeah they wouldn't want to do that no you know what they should have done? It's just not fucking said it. God. There, yeah, there was, I mean, it's the most obvious of a whole bunch of parts of this film yeah. that just do not come together. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I I feel like I've said my piece about this movie. So I want to invite you to wrap this up the same way that we always do, which is, of course, by telling me what you're going to rate this movie uh, in your own personal Netflix profile. So either a <laughs> thumbs up or a thumbs down. And, uh, and yeah, an MVP. So either in front of, behind the camera, whatever you want, just who your standout individual or thing from the movie is. Okay. Um, this might shock you after spending, what, like quite a long time running down this film, but I actually gave it a thumbs up because okay. I, I like these films. I mean, I study Gothic literature, so I lead a, I, I read a lot of crap all the time. Um, <laughs> and I like this film for kind of its historical value. Like it is a interesting time capsule to go back and watch and so i would recommend that like listeners do go and watch it but just know that it is a highly flawed film um and more of a like wheel the movie into a class kind of film rather than right. um anything that would be entertaining but I did give it a, a thumbs up because I am I am I am an academic you, at heart. You do not work God. in yeah. You yeah. do not work in sales. That was no. a, that oh, was a God. terrible. <laughs> that was a brutal endorsement. <laughs> Have I told you about the car that I'm trying to sell? Um, <laughs> I would say that my MVP is Bernard Herrmann, um, the guy who who wrote the music, um, yeah. because I do actually like a lot of his scores. Um, Psycho, of course, is his 
probably his most famous. Um, but this one, it was not just influential in the way that this movie is influential. It was actually good. I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the way that he kind of moved between um, more classic composition and then kind of wove in theremins and electronic instruments um, into certain kind of more heightened sci-fi moments. Um, so I would say that the, for me, the score was the best part of this film. That would be my MVP. Okay. I, I'm not going to say I struggled because, I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's a fucking rating on Netflix. I, I hemmed and hawed, I'll yeah, say. Okay. Um, and I ended up going to basically the philosophy of the whole point of rating on Netflix, which is if you vote thumbs up, it's going to show you more like this. If you Right. This is all part of an algorithm. Right. Exactly. So in terms of like my contribution to the algorithm, what do I want Netflix to... Th- if I'm worried about what Netflix thinks about me, I would probably give thumbs up just because I know I'm supposed <laughs> to love this movie. But I ended up giving it thumbs down. Yeah. Yeah. Because going at it for entertainment value... It was too slow. Yeah. For it's not a romp. No. And that's largely influenced by my more modern <laughs> tastes, I suppose. I mean, it's seventy years old almost, sixty-five years old. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of its overall messaging, I was also not, you know, yeah. standing outside holding up signs saying we need to vote Klaatu or whatever. <laughs> So yeah, I was just like I was like on the fence. I mean, I understand that it has significant, you know, historic significance, but that's mm-hmm. also not necessarily that's not what my you look job. For. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, there are smarter people doing that for me <laughs> instead. Um, so yeah, thumbs down. And then my MVP is. I mean, I always go to the lead, but the lead was really good. Michael Rennie was yeah. solid. Yeah, like if th- we've talked about that superiority that he has and that difference, that otherness. And I felt like he nailed that. Like he had yeah. the the moral superiority of like a cowboy in an old western, mm-hmm. but also a weirdness as well. He pulled it off with a lot more subtlety than other actors who've tried to do the same thing. Like I'm thinking of K Pax. K Pax, I was just uh, gonna yeah, say exactly. yeah. or um Starman or Yeah. Or or of course Keanu Reeves in the new one, but like I guess it's more it's like because it's, he's a vampire, not an alien. <laughs> it's closer, maybe to. I'm glad that you've seen that on the internet. Yeah. Um, it's maybe closer to Data in Star Trek, um, TNG, but um, but that one's but ev- it's but it's much subtler than that, and yeah. it's a little bit more watchable than Data. Yeah, he feels like a real. I mean, he, he's got human characteristics. He's got enough human characteristics to make him relatable. Mm-hmm. But he's so comfortable in his otherness and in his difference and in his smugness to to make that that part of it really come through as well. So, yeah, yeah I thought that he, he was a standout for sure. Yeah. If you're going to watch it, watch it for that performance. Yeah, I would agree with that, actually. Yeah. yeah. All right, man. So that's that's going to wrap it up for us. So tell me a little bit about what, what you're doing. Liminalia is a fairly new podcast. Yeah, Liminalia is a really new podcast. So, so tell me about where we can find it, where we can find you. Uh, well, if you want insurance to... number, <laughs> well, it's, um, and here's my driver's license as well. Um, Liminalia is a podcast that I started up, um, that looks at, um, kind of weird moments in genre fiction. Um, I want to look at, uh, and this is the crux of the title stories that kind of sit on, uh, the border between weird and sci-fi or gothic and westerns any of these kind of genres that seem to not usually have 
bleeds over, but every once in a while there's these texts that sit kind of in the middle. Right, but you're not talking about mashups, right? Like, no. You're I'm not talking... talking about like Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> you're talking about... No, I'm talking about um, like regular stories that have these kind of odd moments in them that might bleed into a different genre. Okay. And I basically want to look at kind of genre texts that where their weirdness has been passed over because, well, they're a noir or they're just a gothic text or they're just sci-fi. There's... Mm-hmm often kind of complexity to it that I want to kind of parse out. So that's what Liminalia is about. Um, you can find us at uh, on SoundCloud uh, at Liminalia Cast. Um, and you can also find us on was Twitter. Was Liminalia already taken? Yeah, it was. Really? <laughs> I know. That is, oh, I had to look up the word when... <laughs> I don't think it's even a word. I think I just made that up. Um, but uh, yeah, no, Liminalia was taken. So Okay, lim- so, so can you just break down the word for us then? Oh, so, I yeah. Mean, yeah, because yeah. I think so, that that would help people um, kind of get into it. So liminal, of course, means border or kind of borderline. Um, and uh, alia is just a an ending that you put on to speaking about. So glossolalia, marginalia, these kind of extraneous writings. Um, so liminalia was just a word that I created up for a cutesy title that talks about um, borders. So that's the idea behind the podcast. Excellent. Um, yeah, so you can find us at... at uh, Twitter at LiminaliaCast, um, and you can find us, of course, on iTunes. Okay, so the yeah, the next episode that you're going to be doing, which pulling back the curtain, we're going to be recording in about right after this, fifteen minutes. <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so, so I'm going to be a guest on your show. Yep, uh, we're going to be talking about David Cronenberg's The Fly, which I don't know why you would want to talk about The Fly when you're talking about weird fiction. Yeah, no, it doesn't make any it doesn't sense. Fit no. at all. This is our science fiction double feature. I kind of realized that this afternoon. Hey, yeah. There's always connections. Um, yeah, so we're going to be doing that. Uh, at that point, that'll be your your second full episode plus yep. your pilot episode. So yep. yeah, do be sure to check that out. And uh, and yeah, thank you again so much for doing this. Thanks for having me on. All right, I love it's being been a lot of fun. That's going to be everything from this episode of the Netflix podcast. If you liked what you heard today, head on over to netflix.ca to check out the rest of our content like show notes, articles, and reviews. Today's show notes are short and sweet. If you head to the page for this episode, you'll be able to find links off to Tom's podcast Liminalia in its various forms, so on SoundCloud, Twitter, and iTunes. I've also linked off to the Global News Report, where they let us know that the U.S. won't defend Canada during a North Korean missile attack. I've linked off to the latest edition of 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die. And since I talked a little bit about M. Night Shyamalan, I also included our ranking of every M. Night Shyamalan movie from worst to best. And if you want to have an idea of what the poster for The Day the Earth Stood Still looked like, I've got that included on there as well. In case you're curious about any of the other Netflix episodes that I referenced, I've included links there as well. We've got episode number 43, Interstellar, with Edward Platero. Tom's last appearance on the podcast, that's number 62, where we talked about Home Invasion Story, You're Next. And to hear me talk about a pretty similar movie, although that I had a very different opinion about, you can check out episode 77, Arrival, with Daniel Chadwick Schubat. And to wrap it all up, I've got a list of all the other movies and series that we talked about, and wherever applicable, I've included links for Netflix and Amazon. So we've got After Earth... Arrival, Bojack Horseman, Castle, 
the original The Day the Earth Stood Still, the 2008 remake of The Day the Earth Stood Still, Fantastic Voyage, Insomnia, Interstellar, iZombie, Knowing, Lucifer, Luther, Rick and Morty, Scandal, Signs, The Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, and The X-Files. You can find Netflix on all sorts of social media platforms. We're on Facebook as Netflix, on Twitter at NetflixPod, where you can also find me at Dylan Clark Moore, and we're on SoundCloud as Netflix Podcast. You can also find me on Letterboxd as Dylan Clark Moore. If you'd like to support the show, there are a few ways you can do so. One is by heading over to iTunes, Google Play, or whichever podcast platform you prefer and subscribing so that each new episode comes straight to you. While you're there, drop a rating and a review to let us know what you think. And even more importantly, be sure to tell your friends about what we're doing here. Unless that is they really like this movie and they're going to get mad at me if you direct them to it. You can also contribute directly to Netflix by way of our Patreon campaign. Whether it's for the rewards or just to see us keep doing what we're doing, you can pledge monthly support over at patreon.com. The Netflix podcast is produced and edited by yours truly, Dylan Clark Moore. The theme music was provided by Zach Moore. I want to take this last moment to thank you for checking out this episode of the Netflix podcast and to invite you to join me here next time for a whole new conversation about a whole different movie from the Netflix catalog. Because even if you think you've seen it all, you ain't streamed nothing yet.